You know, a parable is simply a story to illustrate a truth, to help us understand something deeper that maybe it, it's, it's too hard to talk about, too, just too complex, too abstract. And so a parable is simply that story to help us understand things. Um, the, the, the word parable literally means thrown alongside. And so a parable is a story thrown alongside a deeper truth to help us try to get a hold on it, to get a handle on it, to understand it. You, you've probably heard the word paraclete. Uh, which, which is, is for, for the spirit, spirit right? We, we talk, talk about, about the paraclete sent to us. That's a word that just simply means called alongside. So the one called alongside, the spirit's called alongside of us. Parabolo, the word means aside and thrown alongside. So it's a story thrown alongside. Jesus was a master storyteller, I'm convinced. I, th I think it's why he drew crowds. You know, he was the entertainment often. He was entertaining to listen to. Unlike some, some of us sometimes, sometimes but, but he, he was entertaining to listen to. And, and, and we, know we know that people, people love stories. We, we, we love to hear stories. We love to read stories. And, and, and in, in fact, fact, as the search committee was putting together the kind of criteria they wanted to see in the new pastor, one of the things they talked about is we want someone who is a good storyteller. Someone will help us have something alongside the truth so that we can understand what's going on. I've always said, and I'm convinced, that we tell the truth of our lives through stories. If I really want to know about you, I start listening to your stories. If I really want to learn about someone, if I want you to know me, I start telling stories to you. And you start telling stories to me. I, I, I don't do some complex analysis of who I am and put it in Freudian terms or Jungian terms. No, I just tell you a story about how I grew up and who I am and, and, and what my family was like and the kind of things that we did. So we tell the truth of our lives through stories. Many scholars believe that the closest we come to the actual words of Jesus are in the parables. That if you really want to begin to hone in on what Jesus had to say, look at the parables. That's the closest we get. Our lectionary today brings us to the story of the, uh, the persistent widow or the unjust uh, judge, depending how you want to have the perspective. And despite verse 1 there in chapter 18, uh, um, Luke uses that as an introduction. And in fact, he says it's teaching you to, that, that you ought to always to pray and not lose heart. This parable is not about prayer at all. I mean, it touches on prayer, but it's not about prayer. It's not instructing us how to pray, like the Lord's Prayer that we call that. The lesson here is about the nature of God. Not how to pray, but why we ought to pray. And why our actions should be faithful in prayer because of God's nature. Now, the, now setting the setting here is eschatological. That means in time, you know. Uh, uh, it, it, if you read chapter 17, near the end of 17, uh, Jesus talks about when the Son of Man is coming, the kingdom of God is coming. Uh, and if you read in verse 8 there, he says, but will the, will the Son of Man find faith when he comes? Right? And so you get this eschatological, in time kind of setting going on here. Uh, these are the difficult days before the Son of Man shows up, before the Son of Man comes. And, and Jesus knew that people were going to get anxious, that there is anxiety in life, that life can be difficult. And so Jesus knew that that would happen. And so he tells this parable to encourage us, to reassure us that we can be persistent in life because God is good. Jesus' preaching had a, a, an, an essential element in it that was an unwavering assurance that God's hour is approaching. God's hour is coming. Jesus had full assurance of that. In fact, Jesus would tell you it's already begun. Mark 1, 
his first sermon. Repent and believe, for the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God has come near, right? And, and even here you have in, in uh, Luke 17, you have the kingdom of God, Jesus tells him, is in your very midst now. And so this idea that the kingdom is here, it's taking root, good things are going to happen. In Jesus' beginning, the end is already implicit, and it's a good end that is coming. No temptations, no doubts from others about his mission, about how Jesus is carrying it out, no amount of scorn that he might suffer, no lack of faith by those around him, even his, those closest to him, can make Jesus waver in his certainty that out of nothing, ignoring all perceived failure, God is carrying on. The things that God has begun, he will bring to completion in a good way. All that is necessary is to take God seriously, which Jesus definitely does. To take God into account in spite of all outward appearance, God is at work. God is doing things. Jesus is fully assured of that. Jesus tells us this parable to help us have confidence in God, that our confidence should rest in God. So let's look at the parable. Now, there's always a problem with parables in that people like to turn them into allegories. Allegories and parables are two different things. There is some allegory in the Bible, but not nearly as much as some people think there is. And so the unjust judge is not a symbol for God. Okay? That is not who God is. God is not the unjust uh, judge. It is simply a comparison for us to see what's going on here to understand something about God. But don't make those kind of linkages. Just kind of in the Bible, if you'll just stay away from allegory, even if it is allegory, you'll probably be better off. Okay? So, so let's just stay away from that. So this is a story of injustice. A story of one without power encountering one who has all the power. The word widow, in fact, in Greek is, is, is kara. And it means forsaken or left empty. One who has nothing. And widows were definitely mistreated in that day. In Greek life, now not Hebrew life, but in Greek life they were even sold as slaves. Uh, because what else are you going to do with them, right? In Hebrew life they really had no place. So when the husband died, they could stay with the husband's family, maybe. Maybe marry a brother. But not necessarily. We know that, that Jesus tells a story about where that doesn't happen. Or they could go back to their family. They basically become the servant of the family. And so you have this going on. Uh, remember Ruth, the story of Ruth who stays with her mother-in-law. He said, you got to go back to your home, to your people. And Ruth says, no, I'll stay with you, right? Well, that's what's going on here. They also had to wear mourning clothes all their life. Not mourning like AM, but mourning like I'm really sad, right? All of their life. And, and so, so when, when this judge sees the widow, he knows she's a widow. He knows she doesn't have any power anywhere else because she's practically wearing a uniform that declares, here I am, I'm a widow, I have no power. And, and we should know that we, we often think of widows being older, but in that day and age, it wasn't true because they married at 13 or 14. And so this may be a woman in her 20s, early 30s, right? Full prime of life. Uh, uh, there, there's no need to think about her being old. So we have the judge here. The judge has power. The judge is so powerful, he does not fear God. That tells us the judge is a secular God. Right? He's, the judge is a secular God. He's not put in there by the religious leaders. 
And he doesn't care about people. I don't care what people think. And so he's not an elected judge. How did he become judge? I don't have a clue. But he is. Somehow he has assembled enough power to get this position and to do what he wants. He's not elected. Now, the nature of the courts in that day was that uh, you didn't get justice no matter what you did. Here's how you got your case heard. Uh, uh, you got a 20? Slip it to the guy who's kind of there representing the judge. And the first 20 maybe doesn't make anything happen. But the second 20, the guy says, uh, Judge, we've got a case here you should hear. It was corrupt. And so a widow with nothing is never going to be heard. It's just, just not, not going, going to happen. happen. There, there is no access to the courts for this woman. In this, pro- in this parable, we have two strong independent characters clash. One is powerful and one is powerless, but she's still strong. It is important to note that it is the widow who drives the action. The one without power seems to drive the action in the story. She may, not, she may be powerless, but she is not frail. And she can fight and will fight. She insisted on her rights persistently. She represented herself in her case, constantly going before saying, give me justice. She was not at all intimidated by her setting. She stood her ground and she stood her ground aggressively. She is the force in the narrative here. And she affects the resolution. So powerless people, how do they get hurt? Got to raise your voice. Many of us may be uncomfortable with seeing people protest in the streets. How else will you be heard? Seeing that kind of aggressive action to try to bring about justice makes a lot of people very uncomfortable. But how else do you get heard? If all we do is sit and wait and hope that somehow something happens someday and God will bring about justice... But, but we're, we're to participate in that. that. If, if all we, we do is sit and wait and see what happens, happens then Karl Marx is right. Religion, religion is nothing but the opiate of the people. It does, it does nothing but calm us down. Right? That's, That's not what faith is. is. And this, this woman understands it. She is persistent. Jesus is telling this story. This is a woman in the streets. Power to the people, she's yelling. Give me justice. The fact that we have a widow here who, who faces a profane judge seems to compel compel despair. despair. She She has has no hope. But the the widow doesn't doesn't despair. Despite Despite all that that seems apparent, she is persistent, and she seems assured somehow in her own being that justice is going to prevail. And so here she is. She's crying for action. Give me justice. And she just keeps coming. This woman will not go away. And And so so the the judge judge refuses. refuses. No, get her out of here. She's bothering me. Get her out of here. Finally, the judge capitulates and says, give her justice. Not because it's the right thing to do. My goodness, he couldn't care less about that. But he's afraid she's going to attack him. I love the language here, and our translations really don't capture it. The language here says that he's afraid she's going to give him a black eye. So, so it's, it's, it's a, a boxing term that's used, used here when he's going, going to attack me. me. And, and it really says, she's, she's going to give me a black eye. eye. And he, he means physically. He's, he's not talking about in this story, well, she's going to make my reputation look bad. This guy doesn't care what people think. We've already been told that twice. And here she comes. He literally is afraid that this woman's going to come right up to the bench and punch him in the eye. And he's going to have a black eye. And he says, this is not worth this. 
This just isn't worth this. She aggravates me every day. She never goes away. Five, six days a week, here she shows up standing on the edge yelling at me. And she seems to be getting meaner every day. Have you noticed that? She keeps weaving her way through the people, getting closer and closer. I tell you what, let's give this woman some justice. And so through persistence, the widow gets justice. Jesus tells us that wonderful story. So full of images and so full of feeling, and, and you just get that sense. You want to meet this woman, don't you? This is a woman I want to meet. Now, we'll see how close we want to get to her, but I want to meet her, right? She is something. She is a force. And then Jesus gives us the application in verses 6 through 8. So he says, Will not God bring about justice for his elect? So this is not, again, that... God is somehow like a judge, you've got a badger, and just threaten, like you could, to, to, to get justice. This is a how much more story. A how much more story. So think about the Bible, how much more. Jesus says, uh, look at the ravens of the field. They neither sow, nor they gather grain, and yet God feeds them. How much more are you worth than the ravens? Right? Even, Even Paul, Paul uses the how much more. So this is a common imagery. So, so Jesus, our common uh, illustration here, Jesus wants us to understand God is not the unjust judge. But if an, even an unjust judge can get this, how much more will a loving God, a just God, get this? The parable is an image of vindication. People will be vindicated. You always stand on the side of the oppressed because God will vindicate the oppressed no matter what the world looks like. Jesus is assuring us that God will vindicate God's people, God's children, no matter what it looks like. This is an assurance, an assurance of faith. And that's what's called for here. There's such an assurance here that we can have faith that God will do what God does. God will bring about justice. We are to have faith in God because God can be trusted to bring about the kingdom. The kingdom built on justice and on love. Such assurance makes prayer meaningful. God is working and will work. And when we go to God in prayer, we align ourselves. You know, uh, prayer is really about aligning ourselves with God and understanding the work that God is doing. So we should be persistent in this because God is absolutely consistent in doing what God is supposed to do and what God tells us he will do. Jesus is telling us because God will bring about justice, we should be persistent in our action. God is patient. God is patient in listening to us and quick in responding, Jesus tells us. And so Jesus just says, okay, let's just accept that. We can trust God. God, you can be assured that God will do what God is going to do with justice and love. So here's the only question. When the Son of Man comes, back to the eschatological part, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Can we behold the very nature of God, not as an unjust judge holding things out and kind of tempting us and, and maybe not treating us the way we want to be treated, uh, uh, not a distant God, but a God who's just, a God who's bringing about the justice. Can we have faith in that? Can we be persistent in that understanding and that belief? God listens to the cry of those without power. God listens to the cry 
to the po- of the poor, of the widow, of the despairing, of the lonely, of the suffering, of the hurting, of whatever you're going through, God is listening. God listens to us and to our situations with patience. And God is bringing about deliverance and justice. Our fears, our hurts, our loneliness, our feeling that maybe we should just give up, that the world is in a handbasket, if you know what I mean, and you know where it's going, right? Uh, uh, we got to give that up. There can be no doubting God's power and God's goodness and willingness to help in the midst of that power. Jesus is telling us that is a certainty. Let our concern not be, will God bring about justice? Is God's kingdom on the move? Let not be our concern. Jesus says that's what's going on here. That's why I'm here, Jesus says. Let us be concerned with the matter of when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith in me? Will I still be hoping, believing, and praying in God's justice at work? Will I persist in faith? In prayer, in action, because I believe that God is at work, I can be assured of that. Will I persist in action? Will I fight against the unjust judges or whatever else is moving in the world? Will I be on God's side in bringing about the kingdom, bringing about those changes that will definitely come because God promises they will? Will we say it doesn't have to be this way? The world can change. My life can change. My community can change. My neighborhood can change. And therefore, pursue the action. You know, perseverance is one of the key indicators of faith. The Bible tells us throughout, the faithful persevere. Just keep on. Keep on. Because we believe that God is at work. There are times in Christian experience, Peter Ray Jones says, when we need to bow our backs, set our chins, Pray our prayers and keep going with the faith to the finish. We are called to be faithful. Not because we have great strength, but because God is there for us. God is at work in the world. We can be assured of this. We can be assured that God is at work. May it be true of each of us that as we live our lives, that we are faithful that we are persistent, that we believe that God will bring justice and love, and that, in fact, God will vindicate God's children, and God will bring about God's own justice. When the Son of Man comes, will I be faithful in that I persevered, believing that somehow, through us, together, God is at work with his kingdom, bringing about justice. Amen.